Well, hello, CMYK community and beyond. Welcome to another CMYK Talk podcast. My name's Matt, and boy, oh boy, do we got a really good one for you today. We are wrapping up our series that we've been in for the last few weeks entitled Stories, where we're simply inviting people within our community to share their story, that we would uh, be able to connect and know one another and be known by one another, uh, but also uh, to just be invited to hear where people really are and what they're carrying, and that we can do this work that we think matters in embracing one another wherever they are and whatever they're carrying. And today we are going out with a bang because uh, this is someone that is newer to the CMYK community in some ways, but not to me in my life. Uh, this is one of my best friends for many years. The majority of my life has been spent uh, with and around this guy. His name is Jake Frank, and you're going to tell very quickly uh, that this guy has just a lot to him, and a lot of beauty and uh, significance are just embedded in this man. So we're going to get right to it, Uh, but before, I just need to mention really quickly that this coming Sunday, if you're listening to this on the calendar week that is released, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend, and we're going to do what we do as a regular rhythm for our community, and that is a Sabbath gathering. In other words, we're not going to be gathering on that Sunday at Art House like we typically do, and we also are not going to be posting any kind of talk podcast. We're just going to take the day and rest and play. That's what these are for. And so I hope that you would join us in the spiritual work of not finding our lives so entangled in our accomplishments and doing, but more in just the reality of who we are and that we are known, loved, and embraced there. And so that's why we just take a day and do nothing because it's even in that state, especially in that state that we must know and understand this love and embrace that is found. So take the day, uh, spend it with family, go for a hike, enjoy the outdoors, enjoy some really good food, whatever that means for you, but I hope that you would join us in that. Also, um, with that, we're going to be sending out kind of a special edition of the CMYK magazine. We've transitioned to online for that, you've probably heard. And so this coming Friday, we're going to be releasing uh, just a quick kind of Sabbath thought or idea to hopefully help you uh, for the weekend as well. So all that to say, if you haven't signed up for the online magazine, it's our kind of our opportunity and ways that way as a community that we work hard to stay connected and keep everybody informed with what's going on and what's happening in each other's lives. Uh, you can head to our website, cmykcommunity.com and sign up there. Just give us your email address and that will come to you. Uh, we're going to be putting out new editions of the magazines, you know, every Oh, probably a couple months is what we're looking at. So anyways, there's something coming this Friday. So make sure to grab that uh, and sign up for that if you can. Okay, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Jake Frank. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited that uh, one of my very best friends, I think I can use the phrase of all time, I'm 35, of so all time. I think I can, it's been a lot of years, so I think I can say of all time, uh, is here, uh, Mr. Jacob Samuel Frank, thanks so much for uh, being here today and sharing your story. So, Thanks, man. I'm excited. Uh, me too. I'm so, nervous too. I'm not. Good. I'm just excited. Good. So uh, we start all of these out with this question of uh, where have you been? What leads you to this point and this moment? And I've been around a lot of it, so I will tell you if you lie. I'll let every, I'll let the <laughs> listeners know if you're lying or not. <laughs> Just Good. joking, but Good. no, you you go where you want to go. But uh, 
it's been a wild and crazy journey for you on a lot of levels, whether it's family or faith or relationships or just your own personal life and demons, if you want to use that word, whatever. So what brings you to this moment? What's the thing that comes to your mind when I ask you that question? Well, it's funny, having uh, just turned 35 and... Old uh, man. Old man. Get the gray in my beard and my back hurts. Um, but just uh, turning 35 and looking back on my life after you asked me to do this and thinking about my story and being kind of like, oh, this is kind of way sadder than I ever wanted it to be. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I had all these aspirations and dreams when I was like 20. So grab uh, the box of tissues, everybody. <laughs> Buckle up. No, it's just depressing. It's not, oh, okay. You're not going to cry. Oh, okay. Um, no, so I was... Uh, born here in Billings and grew up in a church family, church every Sunday uh, for all of my childhood, you know. And uh, when I was five, my parents moved us to Park City, Montana. A lot of times when I say I grew up in Park City, people are like, oh, Utah? That's not... (laughs) Um, Nope. Nope. And that kind of started a line in my life. And it didn't happen right away in elementary school, but, um, it started this line of separation of two different Jake Franks, if you will. Um, so there was my Park City secular kind of life. And then there was my Billings church kind of life. And as I started to get older, that started to separate more and more because I would have friends in Park City that I hung out with that didn't do church, didn't believe in God or anything. Um, and then I had all my, all my billings, all my faith chapel friends, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so. And everybody had a different view. If, if they were pulled aside on the street and said, who is Jake Frank? Your school friends would have said certain things about you. Right. Yeah, and your church yeah. friends would have said other things about you. So two, comp- um, in some ways, two completely different personalities and lifestyles and yeah. Right. And, and it was always this weird um, interpersonal struggle with myself where I was feeling guilty about my, my life outside of church, you know, um, going to church on Sundays and then having all of those lessons that we're learning or things that we're being told that we need to do differently and be better and just have that constantly being a part of me trying to process how to live life away from church. And it was always this guilty and shame inducing thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the things that shapes me and my story early, early on is um, is my exposure to pornography and how I don't even remember the first time that it happened. I remember some glimpses of moments, but I don't, I can't really pinpoint a moment in time, but it was just, it was like an extra deeper layer of, of hiding then where I had this desire to see pornography, but I knew that it was terrible. I Mm -hmm. knew that we shouldn't be looking at it. Um, but that was, that was the start of an even more secret life of Jake Frank that nobody knew about. And the shame that I felt with that and just trying to cover up everything so that nobody would ever find out about that. Hmm. Um, so you're in this place with three personalities, essentially, and, and you're kind of in the middle 
the, like right. there's the school right. you, the church you, and then you don't want to say that's the real you, but the the dark. But it was you. the sexual part of yeah, me. yeah, and and growing up in my family, sex wasn't ever talked about yeah. or addressed, and the only thing I knew was that it was bad. Like, yeah, don't have it. Don't think about it. Absolutely, don't do it. Yeah, you know? it's crazy to think because my family's the same way. Penis was a bad word. Right, right. <laughs> well, penis in my family wasn't a bad word because oh, okay. mom was a, a nurse. Oh, okay. So we we knew all the anatomical And you guys, you parts. liberal out there people, so liberal. I'm <laughs> just saying penis all the time. Lots of penises and vaginas. <laughs> um, you know, so really, what's actually what's funny to me is the only sex talk that my mom ever gave my brother and I was the gay sex talk. Whoa. Which okay. is super weird. Yeah. Like I remember very intimately sitting sitting down next to the piano with my mom and my brother and her showing us this anatomical book and talking about how gay people have sex. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. And that's that's the only thing I remember <laughs> about our parents talking to us about wow. sex. Which <clears throat> is is really bizarre then when um you fast forward to, I'm like 11 years old. And because my mom was a nurse, she um, works, she worked like 12 hour shifts several days a week. And so in the summers, when it would come to the weekends, my dad worked on Saturdays and um, my mom would work a weekend. But by the time I was 11, they felt like they could leave us home. And so um, Isaac and I would um, make up these. Crazy, Isaac is your younger brother. Isaac's my little yep. brother, yeah. Uh, he's not little, he's bigger than me. But Mm-hmm. Um, it's not hard to do when you're a little guy like me. <laughs> Anyways, Isaac and I had these chores that we had to do. We we had this uh, little 10-acre property that we were going to build a house on. and We had animals out there to feed and take care of and some other things. And so Isaac and I in the summers would go ride our bikes. It's just a half mile out of Park City. Ride our bikes, bikes down to that spot and take care of the animals, do our chores and stuff. But the whole time we're playing these fantastic games, these made-up, make-believe stories of of characters that we were and I don't even remember examples of them but um one one Saturday we were out there together and we were playing these this game and um I, I just remember we, we rode our bikes back and it was really hot outside and we came back home and went down into our basement where my bedroom was and our game just easily transitioned into this romantic uh exchange where we got naked together and started playing with each other you know when I'm 11 and and he's like eight and it was the weirdest thing because I don't remember it just felt like this natural engagement of relationship with my brother Mm -hmm. but it felt so good you know physically Mm -hmm. and then um that just turned into another section of my secret life that instead of me being the only one that knew about it, my brother knew about it too. Hmm. But he also had this secret for himself. And so that, that part of me continued on through high school where he and I would have these exchanges late at night and, and whatever, where we'd get each other off. And, and the shame immediately overcome, overcame me every single time it happened. And, you know, we We'd like pray together. When we were younger, we'd pray together and ask God for forgiveness and hmm. all the while trying to hide this stuff. And um, I remember um, I must have been about almost 14. And I remember one night I was washing the dishes after dinner and I was just 
overcome with all this guilt and shame about my relationship with my brother. And I did, I wanted to tell my parents, but I didn't want to tell my parents because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't know how they'd react. And I, did, I just didn't know what was going to happen. But the, the shame just overcame me so much that I, I was washing the dishes and I just started crying. And my mom was there and she saw me and I was like, I need to talk to you. And so we went upstairs to her room and, and I told her everything about Isaac and I, and she, um, she consoled me and, and we talked about it a little bit. Um, and really I don't remember the ramifications after that. The only thing I remember is that my dad wrote me a, a note that told me that if I ever needed to talk about it, that I could come talk to him. Hmm. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not talking to you about this. Like, yeah. if you want to talk, like, talk yeah, to me. Come and talk to me. Yeah, there's there's a note here that, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and so that felt good to get that off my chest, but because there wasn't ever any follow-up, there wasn't anything. It was still a secret. It was, it was still, still something you don't talk about. Right. You don't go there. My parents yeah. knew, but yeah. we didn't talk about it. It wasn't. There wasn't no, there wasn't any resolution or closure. Mm -hmm. And so then a couple months later, we picked up our sexual relationship again. Mm. And, you know, at, at this point, it's totally just driven by lust and just having that experience of getting off. And, um, and again, just further deepening this secret, uber secret Jake Frank. And that, I mean, that was really weird playing into then you know, becoming a teenager and 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 wanting to have a girlfriend and trying to figure that out and but I I'm still have this sexual relationship over here with my brother but then I'm trying to like date girls and I'm hanging out with hanging out with the girl that we kind of grew up with and we're like secretly trying to make out with each other in the suburban on the way back from youth group on a Wednesday night and would like go out to their house and we'd play games and we'd like play hide and seek. So the little kids would go play hide and seek and we could just find a dark corner and make out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I just, it just was this ever deepening secret mm -hmm. and, and it just got more and more convoluted as time went by because all of a sudden I couldn't separate the, the sexual, nature of it from myself like it was it was me it was all of me that was all consuming of who I was it's interesting because I mean being around you in this this period of your life like all of those different personalities are all continuing to grow like yeah. and establish themselves working hard to establish themselves as the one true Jake Frank right like church Jake Frank you're getting more involved in music stuff and leadership stuff and, you know, doing all more and more in the church world and right. more and more in youth group. And, you know, there's, there's school Jake Frank with football and basketball and the personality that you're building up there. Like, it's not like one of them is starting to wane while the other one is winning. Like you're simultaneously building all these up and there's the, the sexual side of who you are that is also continuing to grow and, you know, evolve. And yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, um, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, and it's going on. it's good that you bring up those other things because I get so easily consumed with just this was who I was. But it, I mean, it's true. Like, church was 
church was life too. Yeah. Like that's what we did. And it was a, it was a pride factor of, I was super proud of the fact that we never missed church and we were always going we were helping out working in the nursery and mm-hmm. doing youth group and going to youth group events and, and also school being, being a popular kid at school and not being amazing at sports, but because it was a smaller school, I got to do all the sports and, um, and just like feeling like I was this super cool, awesome guy, but also I'm this really terrible, gross, disgusting guy. Um, anyway, so I, <clears throat> coming up through high school, my senior year, um, I, uh, I was dating a girl who lived three hours away that I'd met through some school functions and like, we'd go every weekend to see her and she'd come down here and stuff like that. And, um, we got grounded one time because she was like staying the night at her house and I totally was in her bedroom making out with her and my dad caught us. And, you know, so we got like three months grounding of not being able to see each other. Um, and in that time then, um, there was another girl at my high school that, um, I had this constant flirting relationship with that, um, that spring of my, of my senior year turned into a sexual relationship with her. And again, it was another big secret where I was still dating this girl out here and, um, and I was having this relationship with this, the sexual relationship with this girl, but I was keeping that a secret. And, you know, that was a time frame when you and I had started doing accountability together, mm-hmm. JBs. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and it, that was just a, another portion of my life that I kept hidden, mm-hmm. even from my best friend. And eventually it got out that I was having an affair with this girl. And I mean, I was doing crazy things, man. I was like, every night I would sneak out of our house at like 10 o'clock. I'd jump off the roof of our house right outside my parents' room. And I'd like jog into town and go and climb in through her bedroom window and sleep with her and then I'd wake up like at four o'clock in the morning and I'd run back to my house and sneak in the house Mm -hmm. back upstairs and uh anyways word got out and I don't I still to this day don't know how my parents found out about the exact nature of what I was doing I guess it's probably pretty easy to put two and two together when you got a 17 year old kid living in your house (laughs) um but I remember one night I I tried to sneak out and I jumped off the roof and I like clipped the um rain gutter on my way down and I knew instantly that my dad heard me. Yep. He like turned on the light and I went inside and um he starts just chewing me out and I'm totally trying to defend myself and he knew that I was going over to this girl's house and I was just going to do some chores in the field, Dad. <laughs> Wanna get an early start. Ten PM man. And uh <laughs> and uh I remember I I tried to defend myself by saying that Jesus hung out with sinners, right? <laughs> that was my excuse. <laughs> and my dad... It didn't the, work, This huh? is the best line my dad ever had. He goes, yeah, but he didn't fuck him. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. <laughs> um, and so, like, I took off that night, and I ran, and I was heading towards our house, and he jumped in his car and had fo- was trying to follow me, and I was, like, sneaking through people's yards 
and I got to the yard across the street from this girl's house and I remember hiding behind this tree as my dad like circled the block like five times looking for me. Wow. And um, I went down, I went, I was too terrified to go to this girl's house at that point because I was sure my dad would just go pound on her door. Um, so I went to my other friend's house, my friend Joe, and uh, and woke him up and he like let me stay the night and um, the next day like I went to school in the same clothes that I'd worn the day before and after school I, I went home and my mom was working and my dad was at work and I was completely locked out of the house hmm. like and this is in Park City where you don't lock anything like yeah. you almost leave the doors open yeah and my dad had locked every single door in the house and there wasn't a spare key. There wasn't anything. And so I like went back to my buddy Joe's house and I stayed with him for like three or four days for the rest of the week. And like, just didn't see my family. It seems so weird uh, to think about that. But anyways, um, I came back home that Friday and, um, my parents were both home and, uh, and, uh, What's his name? Fred. Big counselor guy. Fred Nelson? Yeah, Fred Nelson. Yeah. Fred Nelson and his wife were at the house. So my dad had been um, seeing Fred mm -hmm. pretty regularly. And so we had this whole, like, come to Jesus meeting. Mm -hmm. and, and again, there just wasn't any, like, we had that meeting. We had that moment in time. And then we just walked away from it. And and we never talked about it again. Like it just, it, like it wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. Like sure it had happened, but we're not going to bring it up, and we're not going to we're not going to figure out what we need to do to help you. And so it just became another notch in my story of guilt and shame and and condemnation, because like I just felt like my parents didn't really want to get into it and talk about it and see what was going on. And I remember it was, it was around that time. I remember the night that it was after youth group, um, that I confessed my whole relationship with her to you. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you, your response was so gracious and so loving. Um, I mean, and, and it was this complete opposite experience of what I'd experienced with my parents. Hmm. Like my parents were so disappointed and upset and also probably, I mean, now that I'm a parent now, I can understand a little bit more and empathize a little bit more with where they were coming from, but yeah. they were so upset and, and so disappointed that there wasn't, there wasn't a, a bridge across to help me to the next point. Whereas your response was more of that for me. Even though I was still a terrible person. Well, yeah, not, yeah. I remember that night and thinking, "What do I do?" <laughs> we went to the prayer room. Yeah, I don't, don't know why. It was some, that's what we did. Something magical was going to happen. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> thoughts and oh, prayers man. are going to make it better. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Yeah, and so um, it's it's interesting because you've got this secret life. It, things happen. It hits this boiling point. I mean, the way that I've thought about it before is is. You know, there's these pressures that build up in our life that if we don't have a release valve to like regularly talk about or bring things up, 
the pressure just builds up that the pipe bursts and it comes out sideways. And that kind of feels like what has happened a couple times. Just something's bursting, whether it's you breaking down at the kitchen sink or your dad chasing you through the streets of Park City. (laughs) Anyways, so like, like it's sideways pressure and, and then, so that's addressed but then it, there's no release valve ever. There's no like right. true continual like let's continue to talk about this and process this. And that's right. that's the unhealth. That's right. yeah. It's it's capped back up. Yep. It's put back in the bottle. Yep. Let's not talk about this anymore. Yep. And probably from I mean, and I say this because of my own experience too with how I've dealt with either things in my life or other people. There is a part of you that thinks from your parents' perspective, oh, we talked about that. We're right. good. Right. Did it. Yeah. You know. And it's like, but that's. Yeah, it, that's not it. That's not what's what's needed. That was good that it was talked about, but that's not the end of it. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's hard, too, because, um, I mean, I don't know that they knew the extent of it, like the, yeah. the amount of time that went into that relationship. Like, I cultivated that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to use the word cultivate there because it makes it sound like I, I think it was good, but, but I grew something there over yep. months and months. And then just to have it addressed in a one afternoon conversation mm-hmm. and swept back under the rug. Hmm. That's why it was frustrating. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So then I uh, graduated high school and decided to go waste a year of my parents' money in a scholarship at MSU um, where I just basically partied the whole time. And uh, I was just um, drinking and um, sleeping around and, not really going to class, kind of, sort of, enough to get by. But I remember um, in the spring semester, the moment it hit me that I wasn't ready for college was when I went to meet my uh, uh, my college advisor for the first time because <laughs> I was dropping his class because yeah. I wasn't going to be able to make it. Um and it was just like that was a moment of you're not ready for this thing. Yeah. And it was around that time in that spring semester when you started pushing me to come back home and um, do YVBI and uh, the Yellowstone Valley Bible Institute. Yes. Made two made year, rest in peace. Two year certification of something. Bibleness. Bibleness. Oh. Of Gary Matt Storfness. Yeah. Um, and so I, I did. I chose to come home and and uh, go to YVBI, and um, that fall, uh, well, that kind of that summer, Faith planted a church in Laurel called New Life, and my parents were going to join that church, so I was going to, too, because I didn't, you know, felt weird staying mm-hmm. at a church without my parents, even though I was 19 and uh, kind of an adult. Um, um, and so I ended up helping out going on, uh, during my YVBI stuff as an intern, quote unquote, for new life, um, mostly doing worship, uh, music and, um, and youth group stuff. And <clears throat> during that time frame, I also, uh, reunited with one of my high school girlfriends, <laughs> my favorite high school girlfriend, um, my favorite too, jo- for keeping score. <laughs> for keeping score, yeah. Uh, Joanna and uh, we ended up getting married. Um, when I was twenty-one, right after I turned twenty-one, and uh, 
and we like started this life of relationship together um, with all of my baggage and demons. And one of the things that um, instilled a lot of confidence in me and our relationship was me being able to confess everything that I had been to Joanna, um, even my relationship with Isaac, which aside from my parents, I'd never talked to anybody about. Mm -hmm. And she was just so embracing and accepting of me and who I was, but also also demanding uh, a higher level of Jake Frank, a better, mm -hmm. bigger. Um, she, knew, she knew the man that I could be, um, but always accepts me when I was a terrible person but also calls me to a higher level. Um, it's a weird balance that she does for me. Hmm. Um, and so uh, jumping into new life and you know, finishing YVBI and then just becoming a pastor, but still, <clears throat> still hiding secrets of my life, of pornography. And um, by that point, I'd started smoking. It's kind of a weird way to enter into that. Um, but it just it just was this thing that I started to do. It was kind of out of uh, kind of out of rebellion. Of like I wanted to be this good Christian guy, but I also didn't want to be this good Christian guy. Mm -hmm. And I saw Brad Pitt do it in a movie, so it was cool. Like it's so dumb to me <laughs> when I think about it now in in retrospect. But but it was just this thing. It was me being a badass, me being a rebel. Mm -hmm. And, and it just turned into this thing where all of a sudden I was secretly smoking. Like, and that's, that's, what's really silly to me about it too, is like, if I wanted to be a rebel, like why do it in secret? In, why do it in secret? <laughs> it's really, really dumb. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but I remember, I just remember like, uh, like doing a worship set on a Saturday night and finishing the worship set and then walking around the neighborhood and smoking a cigarette and then coming back and like dousing myself in cologne, <laughs> just <laughs> washing my hands and just dousing myself <laughs> in some Eddie Bauer cologne, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and then going back up and doing a closing song. Yeah. And I look back and I know I'm like, Steve had to have known. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anyways. Um, and so I just continued juggling those personas into my life as a pastor mm -hmm. where I still had this pornography thing going on in secret and I was smoking and I was leading worship six out of seven days. Youth a pastor week. going Youth to pastor, Bible school. Going to Bible school. Well, yeah. And I mean, just doing all these things where I was trying to be this really good example, but I was also just being a terrible hidden example of, mm -hmm. of who I wanted to be. And um, now New Life seems like a blur, but I, I ended up being there for nine years. And uh, it, was, uh, it was 2008, right around 2008, when uh, the economy started going in the dumps. And I remember we had a staff meeting, and Steve, was, Steve the pastor there, was talking to me, talking to all of us about how money was getting tight and we we're going to need to we're going to need to make some staff changes and he wanted us to pray about what we would be able to give up hmm. as a part of our salary. And I mean, at the time I was making like $21,000 a year, 
which when I started, I was making 19,005. So I'd been there for seven years hmm. and I'd gotten like a $2,000 raise, which is really, really cool. Uh, super smart economic <laughs> business plan on my part. <laughs> really um, putting away for the future. Really, really putting away. <laughs> and um, we had just had our first daughter, Joanna, had just given birth to Aaliyah a couple of months before that. And um, ever the ever the pious one or something, I don't know. I remember coming out of, of some prayer time, and I used quotes there. You can't yep. see that. I used air quotes. Prayer time. Um, and really feeling like I had heard God say that he would provide for us if I took a 50% pay cut. Wow. And I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) That's some good prayer. So I told Steve that I'd take a 50% pay cut and he was like, okay, great. Yeah. And so then I was making $12,000 a year. For a full-time job. For a full-time job. Yep. And More than full-time, if we're honest, about the number of hours that you're there. Oh, yeah. My, yep. wife, my wife would kill me if I said it was just a full-time job. Yep. It, was, it was six days a week. I mean, I, I would get up before, I would get up and leave the house before dawn and um, come back home after the sun had gone down. Yep. Um, and then that the seventh day of the week, I'd go to band practice, which made my wife really, really happy. Thanks for that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so anyways, uh, I, t- I took the pay cut, and my wife had already had dropped a day of her three days a week shifts. Um, so she was working three days one week and two days another week as a nurse at the ICU after we had Aaliyah. And... I knew we needed to do something, but I didn't know how to find time to do anything else because I was working all the time at the church. And so I uh, t- took up a paper route, which uh, was super awesome. <laughs> um, I ended up with, I, I ended up running three paper routes in Laurel. Wow. And, uh, and it was like uh, a year of getting up at, Two thirty, three o'clock in the morning and running these paper routes. And then, oh, I also started going back to school in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in 2006, I started going back to school. So I'd finish the paper route and then I'd go to the coffee shop and I'd do my homework and studying for the day. And then I'd go to work at the church. And then that night, then at night I would go home. <clears throat> I remember I used to eat goldfish a lot for lunch. Goldfish? Goldfish. The crackers? Yeah, the crackers. Okay. From, yeah, not the actual fish. Just, no, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, just like, trying to get on the same page. Like the nursery goldfish mm-hmm. crackers. Mm-hmm. Prob- yeah, that was good. Um, and <laughs> that was good. And uh, I, it just it just was this terribly exhausting time. And um, because because we're really really smart, we accidentally got pregnant with Nora. And um, <laughs> Mom should have done the heterosexual sex talk. I think. Yeah, what that sounds I think, like. I think she should have. <laughs> the gay one didn't. Didn't, it didn't help. help. Nora came along. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> so, uh, Nora was born in October, and um, she was born in the middle of the night. She was born at like one or two in the morning, and I remember, 
I remember then feeling like the nurse thought I was just the worst dad ever because I was just like passed out on the couch Mm -hmm. and she's like trying to wake me up and I couldn't wake up because I'd been you're exhausted. Yeah. Um, I ended up quitting, quitting the paper out uh, about a month after that. And, but I, we still had this issue where we didn't have enough money to afford our mortgage. And my wife has this great story about, um, when Nora was a baby that winter about um, the city of Laurel showing up at the front door to shut off the water because we couldn't afford to pay the water bill. Hmm. And she was there you know, holding our two-month-old Nora in one arm and our two-and-a-half-year-old Aaliyah in the other arm and just being like, seriously, you're going to yeah. shut off the water? Um, so it just was super tight and I ended up getting a couple other jobs here and there and worked it out with Steve with my, my pastor and boss to not have to be at the church so much so that I could work at these other jobs and still, still just working and just like doing church was getting to be so exhausting too, because we were doing so many things, so many events and, um, it was like seven or eight services a week of, of different things and having mm-hmm. to do worship for all of them and having to try and coordinate team members and and just write new worship lists and just just being exhausted and I just like I just remember my fingers wanting to fall off from playing so much and and um, through all of that like every single time that I felt worn out and exhausted and needed a place to hide and needed a way to cope. And that's where I would turn. That's where I would escape to my pornography or whatever. And, um, and so coming towards the end of 2010, um, actually is the, is the very beginning of 2011 is in January. I remember, um, looking at porn early in the morning and feeling super guilty and a lot of shame. And I was like, I need to get out of this cycle because this isn't good. And so I emailed Steve and, and I confessed and I said, I need to talk to you about this and we need to figure something out. And he agreed to have a meeting. And so we sat down and he looked at me, he's like, I think you're done. Hmm. I think you need to be done. And I couldn't fathom it. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to be done. Cause I remember early on after I became a pastor, I remember hearing all the stories about how millennials are leaving the church and the young people are leaving the church and there's pastors that aren't lasting. And I was like, I'm going to be that guy who lasts. Yeah. I want to be that guy who's there 50 years. Hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not done. Like this isn't me trying to get out of it. This is me coming to you and saying, I need help. Let's, yeah. let's figure this out. Um, and he was like, okay, well, I think you need to go on a three month unpaid sabbatical, <laughs> which right. is, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Just a little comical. Cause we but... didn't need the money. Yeah. You know, and <clears throat> excuse me. And so we transitioned into this season where I wasn't doing anything for the church wasn't getting paid but we had to go and I 
got a job in IT working for uh, the guy who had been our big mentor in high school, mm-hmm. Kirk. And um, that was just a lifesaver for me because like, I, I was able to just come to him and say, hey, this is my situation. This is what I need. And he immediately just met me at the base of what I asked him for to make our family okay. Yep. And it just was it just was really cool cool experience and moment in, in my life. Um, and anyways, then we went through uh, the three months of unpaid sabbatical and then um, Steve and I decided that I should be done. Yeah. And so I left and <clears throat> we ended up moving into my mother-in-law's basement after we sold our house in Laurel. And um, that's when I started drinking um, it wasn't, it wasn't directly connected to the mother-in-law, but <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't heavy, but that's yeah. when I started using alcohol as another form of escape. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just remember, um, we also had kind of a liberal work environment where some afternoons we'd have some beers at the office. And so I started, I started, uh, I'd have like two beers in the office in the afternoon and then. Like I'd take a beer with me on the road and then I'd get home at like 4.30 and I'd have another six pack or seven, eight, nine beers, you know, just turn this thing where that's what I did. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have, I didn't have anything to do anymore Yeah, because all of the things that I had been involved in, including the band that we were in, um, and and all the stuff with church, like all my creative outlets were just taken away. Like I, mm-hmm. I just didn't have anything anymore except for to just drink. And so um, <clears throat> I remember realizing how much alcohol, how much beer I was drinking. I was like, all right. I'm, I, I don't remember which birthday it was. I think it was my 29th birthday. I was like, all right, no more beer for a year. And so I did this thing where I didn't drink beer, but that's when I started drinking whiskeys. Hmm. And I just like, I just swapped one out for the other. Yeah. And, and it just turned into this even greater sense of escape of really feeling like I didn't have anything to do and this occupied my time. And, oh yeah, and also I've got to parent my kids, <laughs> you know, um, but that that kind of just the last few years has been this i've I've got a great job and um i enjoy the work that i do there but then outside of that i haven't had anything and so i just use these escape things to fill my life and take up my time and actually it was just uh a couple months ago i was re i was going through some old stuff some old writing and I, I hadn't, I don't know why I didn't make this connection, but I just realized that my time, my, the, the point in time when I left new life in 2010 was when I stopped creating, when mm-hmm. I stopped making anything. I, I had all these projects in the works that I was working on some, some books and some different things that I was trying to create. And like the, the line in the sand is right there at that time where I just stopped working on anything. Yeah. And uh, it's really, that's my story up till now. <laughs> Here you are. Here I am. So it, 
I mean, it. I know you're not here to listen to me tell you what I think about your story, but it, it's fascinating to me that so much of of who you are revolves around these multiple personalities, mm-hmm. and just this fractured life mm-hmm. that that you've lived in a lot of ways. And here, here's how I would put it in this moment. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you've had all these fractured personalities and in the midst of that, you're still wrestling to find out who is Jake Frank. And, mm-hmm. and that's the reality of where you are right now because you don't, I mean, I, you've taken some, I think some really healthy, great steps in addressing those fractured personalities. Like you've addressed kind of the faith side of who you are and rather than trying to pretend or play a game or, you know, whatever, whatever, you're trying to be honest about some things with your family, with your drinking, with sexuality, with, you know, all these different things. Um, but in the midst of that, you're still left with this question of who is Jake Frank and what am I going to do with my life, I guess. is right. And so that's where the creative piece for me comes in of like, yeah. what am I going to create? What am I going to make with my life? Right. And there's your family with that, there's your job with that, but then there's still this part of you that goes, okay, who am I even outside of those things? Right. And because you've always lived these fractured, you've spent so much time and energy trying to hold up these other personalities right. that now that those have gone, now what do you spend your time and energy doing? Is that a, a good way to put it, you think? Or Yeah, I think so. And, um, and I think because of that, because of that question and not being able to answer that question or forgetting, like I think that I know, I know who I can be. Yeah. I know who I think that I should be. Yeah. Um, but because I stopped doing any of that, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of forgot about it, which is weird to say, um, I went from having zero time to having all this time. Yeah. And you would think that that would just easily, um, parlay itself into me being able to do those things and be that person I want to be. But I was trying to, I was trying to make myself okay with all of the fractured personalities that I'd been by just drinking Hmm. or just escaping, you know, playing some stupid game on my phone. And just so I didn't have to think, you know, that, that was the, that was kind of the goal, is the goal. Yeah. So. Hmm. So, um, so we, I mean, we've had a couple conversations about it. You're in this place now of trying to, to create, trying to figure out who, who is, to live up to that vision right. of who Jake Frank is, which is fascinating, I think, because for many of us, we have a picture of who we want to be. Right. And the reason that we can't be that is because of, time and energy. Well, I'm just, I'm so busy with these other things and I'm not, uh, you know, if I, if I had time or energy, I'd go and do those things or I'd, you know, run a marathon or I'd, you know, build this thing, whatever. And it's just an interesting story that here's a, here's a test case for us all, for me included of someone that, okay, you have all the time and you kind of have some energy too. And that's not the natural outcome of it because maybe there's some there's some other things that we need to address. I think for all of us, for myself included, of this vision of who we want to be and the reasons that we're not actually pointed in that direction. It's not just time. It's not just energy. There's potentially some other things. And I'm not saying what it is for you or what it is for me, but there's work to do above and beyond. Oh, if I just 
if, if there were just 28 hours in the day instead of 24, then I could do this stuff. Right. There's more to it. Because right. we're choosing what we do with the 24 hours. You know, we've got to figure more out than just adding time. So all that to say, you're in this place of it wasn't just time, it wasn't just energy. What are you, what are you doing? How are you addressing that? What does that look like for you? Well, the, the thing is that I've realized about myself, and again, this feels really dumb to say at, at 35, but I'm really effing lazy, and I don't know how to say no to myself. Hmm. And it's like it's so much easier. It feels easier to just not do anything. Yeah. Um, cause I'm, cause I am tired. I mean, there's a lot, you got three kids. Yeah, parenting is, yep. is crazy. And, and I, again, it's just, I just want to escape. Like I don't want to have to think. And, you know, as I sit in and examine it now, I'm like, I'm just really lazy hmm. and I don't know how to say no. And as a, as a, 35-year-old dad of three, that's really depressing to say about yourself. Um, but what I'm, what I'm working on and what I'm trying to progress in is, is look at the reality of what it is that you're doing to yourself and look at the reality of what it is that you want to see happen. It's like, like I mentioned, I remember when we started... Uh, recording or if it was before that, but I was like, I'm 35 years old and my back hurts, you know? <laughs> yep. I'm like, my back hurts because I don't work out. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything to help my body, you know? Like we went over to my father-in-law's the other weekend and dug up some garden beds for him and I was like heaving and <laughs> hoeing and just dying after like three sh- shovel scoops. <laughs> I'm like, who is this body? Like, wh- where did this come yeah. from? Yeah. And, and it's simply because I don't put in the effort to, Mm -hmm. to maintain myself physically. And I mean, probably the only thing that I've done a decent job at is, is maintaining myself mentally Mm -hmm. in, in trying to read and write and, and be aware of like, it's, it's so weird because like, I'm super aware of my faults, but I I don't do much to address them. Yeah. To Knowledge isn't the issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just making the choice. And, um, so it's really, really interesting. And it, it's funny. One of the things that's really funny to me is that I just remember over the last like two, two years or so, a lot of our friends have started seeing therapists mm-hmm. and, like two years ago, I was I was completely oblivious to the state of of what I was in, and what I was doing to myself, and so uh, like everything seemed really really great. Like life was life was a blast, man. You know, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, am I missing something? Yeah. Like all my friends are seeing somebody to work <laughs> out their issues. I'm like, I don't think I need to do yeah, that yet. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Um. So it's just it's just a part of that process of of self-awareness, I think, and growing. And um, one of the things that makes it interesting uh, being married and having kids is it's not just yourself that you've got to think about and do that with and for. Um, you got to, I've got to do that with my wife and mm-hmm. I've got to do that with my kids. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that 
I think that Joanne and I had, it, it seemed like it was pretty easy, even though we went through a lot of struggle and, and triumphed through a lot of stuff, which I think is what made it seem easier. But, you know, it's coming up on 14 years of being married and the last year of our marriage has been the hardest Hmm. because we're just trying to figure out how to take these next steps together. And like, we can't do that separately because if we do that separately, we're going to grow apart and it's not going to work. Um, and I think that there's a fear in that. There's a fear for me, there's a fear in stepping forward because, and, and this is one of the reasons that I, I don't create as much as I should is, is I'm, I'm really terrified of what that's going to look like and that it's going to be terrible. Hmm. And Because of what you would say about it or what others would say back to you? The feedback wouldn't be yeah. positive and so yeah. yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth the time and energy. It's not good enough. There's there's no reason to do that. I know that feeling. I, and 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 that's the thing is I yeah. know that every creative person, every person feels that way. Yeah. That everybody's gonna doubt everybody's gonna doubt them and everybody's gonna think it's terrible and so just don't do it. Yeah. And it's it's such a childish mindset and Yep. I just want to shake myself when I'm talking about myself like this. Yeah. It's really, I've got to really figure it out when <laughs> I don't have to just actually do it. Yeah. So, um, so all that to say, I mean, it's, it's a life that has a lot of ups and downs and lefts and rights as, as all of our stories do. Um, but you're here and I think there's a commitment to, to work on it. And not just think right. about it, not just right. write about it, um, but to really um, figure out, I mean, to bring in some of the, you know, for me, the CMYK language of, you know, what's the most beautiful way for me to engage this stuff? The people around me, the world around me, the stuff around me, how, how do I engage this in the most beautiful way? Um, that's the the process that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've talked about it a lot, but... But, you know, part of the questions of this, this series is simply asking the question, what are you wrestling with right now? Would you say it, it all comes down to that core issue of the vision of Jake Frank and more a holistic reality of who Jake is in the world? Um, were there other things that you would say that come to, come to your mind when you're wrestling with stuff? Oh, man, everything. Wrestling with everything. <laughs> everything. You always got that unitard on. <laughs> um. You know, it, there is there is that that component of myself that that I struggle with and I'm trying to figure out, but I'm kind of really tired of that because I feel like I've been doing that for so long. Like, yeah, let's just figure this out. And yeah, move on. Like, <laughs> like I'm I'm not I'm not really wrestling with it. I'm just wrestling with actually stepping out of it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject. Oh, it's yeah. the reality, but it's the exact same thing that you just you brought up with. Uh, was it your conversation with your mom of like all these months and years go into something and then there's this one moment right. that you think like, oh, we did it. We handled it. Right. You, it you're, is. You're your mom in this situation, Jake. You've got years of this that's built into this moment. So yeah. you've got years ahead of you of working it through. Right. Okay. That's very true. Glad I could encourage you. <laughs> is that, that's what that was, an encouragement? <laughs> I think so. It felt yeah. encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of depressing. Yeah. It's good. Um. You know, one of the things that I'm really wrestling with right now is is the <clears throat> the idea of faith 
and belief in God. Mm-hmm. And um, just the reality of, of that and what that looks like, like being outside of the conservative Christian paradigm that I spent almost 30 years in. And then, well, I did spend 30 years in it and then taking a couple years off and now trying to come back to church, not necessarily because of Christianity, mm-hmm. um, but more because of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one thing that I, one thing I realized a couple months ago was that I spent, I spent so much time in the 2000s as a pastor praying for Jesus to change me asking God to fix me, asking mm-hmm. God to make me not want to ever look at porn again um, or just to be a better person or to stop smoking or whatever. And realizing that I was just saying those things and not changing my behavior and not doing anything myself to make that a reality. And coming to coming to this place with, with my faith now is like, I don't know if God is real or not. Um, some of the books that I'm reading right now are really interesting and in making me go, this all sounds like a bunch of rich people were like, hey, we can control people through mm-hmm. religion yeah. and let's make this God, this thing, and make them be all consumed with it mm-hmm. and not be able to see that we're just dictating everything that they do and taking their money. Um, and... And so, like, that's what I was doing. I was praying to this to this entity to fix me, but I wasn't doing anything to fix me. And so now I'm I'm standing here, and I'm, I'm it's like I'm looking up into the sky, and I'm I'm going, what have I lived my life for, and why have I lived it so passively hmm. for this for this God? And I've not done anything. I've not done anything to really be like, hey, look at my life. This is amazing. Look what I've done. And instead, I've always just asked this God to make me better so that I then can go do these things. But instead, I just I just need to go do these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not as concerned about God anymore. Yeah which makes my wife a little bit nervous. Yeah. Concerned about God from the, like, the because we kind of come from the same background. Concerned about God from the perspective of having a proper theology, quote-unquote, of God, or concerned about God from how he views Jake Frank, or concerned about God from trying to, like, trigger the power of God in your life. Does that make different, the, like, yeah, yeah. the three different areas? Because I've been concerned about all three things in my, you know, different areas. So yeah. I'm curious where that was. I'm surprised is. you didn't call God she there after your <laughs> message last week. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I I didn't listen to it, so I don't know where you landed oh, on well it. Oh, well, then fine. Right. I'm not sorry. Okay. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, I Really, all of them. Every aspect of okay. that. De- definitely, like... One of the things that I think was most destructive for me is the whole guilt and shame and condemnation of that I felt from my quote unquote bad actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't. I I still respond to um, 
to situations in my life the same way that I always did because my instinctual reaction is guilt. Yep. You know? And and I don't I don't want to do that. I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's good. And I wonder what my life would be like without that feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a I don't maybe it is. I don't think that it is, but to me, it's not just about just being authentic. Even if you're authentic, you can still feel shame yep. and guilt. And I think that's one of the things that I'm wrestling with is how do I how do I how do I get rid of the chains that bind me? To use a good <laughs> old yep. conservative Christian phrase, yep. how do I let those things go? How do I move past it? to be okay with who I am. Yeah. I think that's, that's a lot of it. Yep. Because this is, um, I mean, again, we've brought it up multiple times. I've brought it up multiple times. The roots of Christianity, all the good, but also all the bad go very, very deep in your life and in my life. And it is not a, it's not a one-time decision to set that down. Um, those those things keep popping up over and over and over and over again and and when there's this giant root of our belief system that says you are inherently bad and evil and mm-hmm. need the blood of Jesus to make you not bad and evil yeah that's a it's a hard thing to look in the mirror and see anything other than that after years and years right. and when there are some pretty strong genetic things like sexuality that are intertwined with right. our bad evilness. Right. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. So you're always wrestling. Always, <laughs> unfortunately. So what are you celebrating? What's going well? Um, well, uh, one thing in particular is uh, just my kids, seeing my kids grow. Um, like my youngest, Joshua, is almost four now. And so... He's pretty independent, mm-hmm. and um, so now all of my kids are pretty independent. And just watching them do themselves, what they do, yeah. do what they do. Like the girls are doing uh, dance recitals this weekend. Last night we saw Aaliyah do hers, and it just was so cool because like she's not a super confident girl in front of people. And yeah. last night she was like lights out confident. Really, and it was really really oh, fun that's to so see. Great. Cool. Yeah. And, and to see Nora do that and watching them, um, you know, they're on, they're on a softball team this year and watching them go through that process of figuring out what it means to play on a team and also learn a brand new sport and just see them both excel at it in their own special ways. Um, just watching them grow Mm -hmm. and, uh, and watching Joshua just like, he is so able to, he, he can figure stuff out so easily. Like, so I've got this, um. I've got this laptop that I brought home from work and I wiped it and I put a Linux OS on it. And um, he knows how, he figured out without any of us showing him, like he just observed. He figured out how to log into it with the guest account and say okay to the little message that says nothing's going to be saved on this session. Mm -hmm. And then launch Firefox and then hit the skip sign in button and then click YouTube. And then tarp it, type in R in the search button to find Ryan's toy review. What? All by himself. What? Yeah. Oh, man. 
Um, but just watching him do his thing and, and grow and become a crazy monkey monster animal. Yeah. Like it's just as much work and effort as it takes to be a parent. It's so fun to sit back and look at your kids and, and watch them. Yeah. Um, and feel like, you know, you're doing a good job. Like there's, there's been times when I'm like, man, I'm a terrible dad. And like, because of that guilt and shame that I immediately respond to. With yeah. That. I apologize to my kids about being a terrible dad. And they mm. look at me like, what, what are, are you, you talking, talking about? about? Yeah. You're an amazing dad. And I mean, that's, that's really cool. Um, the other thing that I'm celebrating that I'm excited about is, um, like I've written some songs recently. What? Yeah. Oh. And, uh, and I've got this, this idea to, um, write this little, not an actual screenplay, but kind of like a blog in a screenplay fashion, hmm. um, outlining, uh, like this, uh, the idea of the workplace water cooler. And it's totally based on just experiences that I've had at work and, and with this little group of people, but just, just creating and having ideas and getting them and doing them. Like, um, it was really cool. It was like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I sat down at the piano and wrote like the foundation for four different songs hmm. and they're probably all terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to say that about myself, but, mm-hmm. um, but it was just the act of doing it. Yep. Just being able to not just put chords together to make a song, um, but to get some words with them. And to me, that's a, that's a victory. That's, that's a big awesome. thing because it's, it's been eight years. Mm-hmm. Something that didn't exist insane. now exists because of the effort you put into it. Whether yeah. it's good or bad right. doesn't matter right now. Right. There is that feeling of creating something. Yeah. Taking nothing from something. Or yeah. taking something from nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, we kind of wrap it up with this final question of um, we as a CMYK community, uh, what can we be doing to serve you, you and your family? How can we, how can we serve you? Uh, call me out, call me up and say, Hey, I like you. I want to see you. And also (laughs) like, Hey, I see you doing this thing. What are you doing this thing for? Hmm. Like if there's one thing I know about myself and it's, it's what my wife has taught me by her example is that I need, I need somebody to be, this isn't Jake Frank. There's a better Jake Frank. There's a a bigger Jake Frank than what you're being right now. And that's the one thing that I value most from my wife. And that's what I value most from my relationships with people is is just people being willing to say, hey, look at yourself. You can be better than this. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm too much of a dick and people don't want to do that because I'm a dick. But that's what I need. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think that's always good to hear that we're that we're actually looking for that. Yeah. Because um, I'm looking for that from relationships in my life, but I think I look at other people in my life and think, ah, oh, they don't. They're probably busy. They don't want me to bug them, or even th- what do they care about what I think about? You know what's going on in their life, or you know right. me checking in on them. It doesn't matter. Um, it's interesting. I, I guess I would just for you to say that. Um, 
it makes me think of something I've been thinking about throughout this entire conversation of all these fractured personalities that you've had and the fear that we we all have of being seen for who we really are and then rejected. It's why we create the fractured personalities because those are more sure bet for us to be accepted in those spaces and relationships. And just the strong good work of working hard to see one another for who we really are and whatever that is to embrace. And, you know, the, the moments throughout your life, whether it's going to Steve, your dad, your mom, where you're honest and you don't feel that embrace there's an acknowledgement of something but at the end of the day it's almost rejected because it's put back in in the hole in the hole or you know like we're not going to deal with that again right i don't know i I just think like you you say you know being a part of a a faith community not for the faith but for the community the more the more and more that i'm a part of this and and the older i get as a 35 year old as well and wrestle with these things that's just that's that's work that matters, I think. So, yeah. so I, I'm saying all that to say I commit to you, Jake Frank, in this moment. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh man. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story, all of it. Um, yeah. And I can attest to he was honest, everybody. Okay, because I've heard this before, and he was honest. There's nothing he lied about. So um, it's all that bad. <laughs> it really is that bad. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. All right. (laughs) So, well, thank you, my friend. Love you. Thank you. you. Well, I told you with this last uh, episode or this last talk in this story series that we're going to go out with a bang. And I think uh, you made it to the end. And so (laughs) you realize that we did go out with a bang. Uh, Jake just continues to be somebody that wrestles with this authenticity and just a beautiful man on that level. And as this is our last series or last talk within this series, um, I just thought it would be important to maybe wrap everything up with a question. And the question that I have is simply this, do you believe that your story matters? Because this, this whole series has been inviting different people from different walks of life and different places, different things that they're wrestling with and celebrating, and inviting them to share their story and communicating about who they are and where they are, that there is something sacred and significant there. Do you believe that to be true about you and your story and what you're carrying and what you're wrestling with and what you're celebrating? Because all of us know what it's like to live in this culture where we see all these other stories, whether it's celebrities or people on a screen or people we interact with in, at work, and, and look at them and point at them and say, that's a story that matters. That's someone that's winning. That's what significance looks like. And then we, in turn, look in the mirror at ourselves and our own story and we say, yeah, th- this isn't as significant. This isn't as sacred or important. And I, I believe there's nothing further from the heart of Christ than to do that kind of rejection of our story and of our life, that kind of belittlement of it. I mean, Jesus was this guy continually throughout the gospel. There's all these stories of people like Zacchaeus, who I'm sure you know the story, you probably know the song. Zacchaeus was this wee little man. And and he was someone that was a rejection of the Jewish culture, his people, because he's a tax collector and everybody within his social circles and culture does not like who he is and what he's choosing to do with his life. And there's this interaction of Jesus walking down the street and Zacchaeus is up in a tree 
and Jesus sees him and chooses to say, Zacchaeus, come down from there. We're going to share a meal together. And this is a culture where sharing a meal with somebody is an invitation into each other's lives, an invitation into each other's stories. And Jesus in this moment is looking at this man that everybody else has rejected and saying, your story matters. And while everybody around me, there's a crowd that would be interested in wanting to spend time with me. Jesus is saying, I want to spend time with you, Zacchaeus, because your story, as much as culture and maybe even you have rejected it, it matters. And so we've got to connect. Jesus has this moment with this disfigured woman who's kind of huddled up in the corner at this one point, and he's just walking by and he sees her and he chooses to beeline over to her and engage with her. Why? Because he communicates your story matters. You don't have to hide. Your story matters. Or the story of the Samaritan woman by the well, another person that within Jewish culture is a rejection of the culture of someone who's not winning, someone who's actually the enemy and doing things wrong. And Jesus chooses to sit and have a conversation with this woman about her story, the reality, the truth of her story. This is the work of Christ. And so the work of Christ in our own lives is to see that our stories, wherever we are and whatever we're holding, it matters, it's sacred, and it's significant. And so for you, are you someone that's rejecting your story, belittling your story, or are you somebody that has truly engaged this life of Christ, as I would term it, that your story, what you're wrestling with, what you're celebrating, what's brought you to this point, it matters. And maybe a question to ask in the midst of that is, have you ever shared it? Have you ever sat down with somebody and shared your story? No, you probably haven't sat in a, you know, and done a podcast of it, okay? You probably haven't sat in front of a room of people, like at our Sunday gatherings, these people in the story series, and shared your story on that level. That's not the question. The question is, have you ever had coffee with somebody or had a meal with somebody and just shared your story? The whole thing. Because we know what it's like to share part of our story, to share, as Jake talks about, this projection or this idea, this personality. So I'm 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 this person to my work friends, so we've shared that part of our story, and I'm this person to my family, so we shared that part of our story, and I'm this person to my other friends, and so we share that part of the story. And so we just share these little bits and pieces with different groups of people. Have you ever sat with somebody and shared all of it? all the different personalities, all the different projections and ideas of who you are to say, this is who I am fully. Why? Because it's all sacred. It all matters and is significant. Have you ever shared it? And that you're, this sacred, significant story that you hold, it doesn't come when something happens or if something happens. It doesn't come at a certain date or a certain accomplishment in your life, as we like to think. Because for some of us, we don't want to share our full story because we feel like it's not done yet and I've got to wait till this happens or I got to wait till I I fix this or I, I create that and then I'll be willing to share my story. No, 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 no. This is an invitation to see and to understand that wherever you are right now, this breath, this moment, there is something so sacred and important about your story. And it's not about waiting for something to happen. It's about seeing what's already happened in your life, what is happening in your life. And there's something good, beautiful, true there. Have you ever shared your story with somebody? Maybe another question to ask would be, have you ever sat with someone and asked them to share their story? Because if we're going to work to understand that our stories are sacred, then part of that is 
looking at someone else in the eye and saying, hey, what's your story? And choosing to treat that as sacred and significant and something that matters. And this is especially true and important, I think, in a culture that is so divided and so polarized that you sit with somebody that believes differently than you, thinks differently than you, votes differently than you. And rather than just talking about how you have these differences of belief or opinion, ideas, whatever it is, that you actually sit and hear their story. Because wherever they're coming from and whatever's going on, there's a piece of that that matters and is sacred and significant. And that you show that in your willingness and ability to sit and hear their story. Have you ever done that with somebody? Particularly somebody on the other side of the aisle from you on whatever the issue is. This work matters. And I believe that this is our invitation as we would use the term the body of Christ, people that are working to create and invite ourselves and others into a more beautiful way to interact with the world, people and stuff. It starts with understanding our story and the sacredness of that and seeing others and their story and the sacredness of that. So I end with this question. Do you see that your story matters? Have you ever shared it? And if you haven't, Find somebody. And I can attest for so many people within the CMYK community, there are those that would love to hear your story here in Billings, Montana, that want to not simply reject, not want to belittle, but to embrace and look you in the eye and say that your story matters. So find somebody, whether it's in the CMYK community or a friend or a family member, whoever it is, share your story and work to do this life of Christ wherever you are, to hear and and take the time to sit and hear the stories of others. This matters. I hope you see that to be true. I hope you find that to be true for your life. And as always, if there's anything that we can do for you, please, please let us know we're here for you. Uh, Real quickly, I just want to remind you that next week we've got the Sabbath gathering. So again, there's going to be no talk podcast posted at all. You can sign up for the online magazine if you want to kind of stay in the know of a couple things that we're going to be posting this week um, at our website, cmykcommunity.com. And then I just really quickly want to mention that when we come back in two weeks to this talk podcast and come back to our gatherings, we're going to be launching into a new series that uh, we're simply calling The Bible and Sexuality. And um, as many of us have had our own kind of personal wrestling, mas- personal wrestling matches with sexuality and, and particularly the LGBTQ community and what that means scripturally and how to interact uh, on that level, whether you're someone that's in, within that community or, or someone that's trying to figure out how to best uh, love and, and care for that community, whatever it looks like, um, I think this is an important series and conversation for us to have because what I believe and what I see is that the scriptures, where they're typically used to reject, typically used to um, be this unaffirming uh, text of the LGBTQ community, I believe that that is not the case. And there is so much good um, scriptural basis and understanding for us to be a community, for me as Matt Blakesley, to be an individual that is fully open and affirming and embracing of whoever they are and uh, wherever your or my sexuality would be. And so uh, we're going to be talking about that and kind of having some in-depth conversation and study on that topic. So that's going to be launching in a couple weeks if you want to kind of stay uh, tuned and in the know or join us on at one of our Sunday gatherings. Other than that, I love you. I hope to see you really, really soon. I hope you have an incredible Sabbath uh, this upcoming week, and we'll be back. <laughs>